I have shared with some of you here with us and at home also that this series about God and the storm, what God does specifically in the midst of storms in Scripture, I, I felt was very Holy Spirit-led. Um, you, I mean, at one step, you can look at the different sort of elements in the Bible and figure out this is what God does, but I just felt like we've been living it. <laughs> Living it in the sense, living in the midst of a storm that's disrupting so many things in our lives. And yet at the same time, God is still present and faithful and moving. And I see this personally. I've seen this in many of your lives and beyond so much I don't know. And these are stories that I think are so important that we find ways to share with each other. Because otherwise, we will miss out on all the things that God is doing. You know, the past few weeks, and I imagine many of you have heard some of those messages, not all, it's been looking at different themes, different elements, these different invitations, things like to trust in Jesus, who is with you, who's present with you in the storm, to praise the God of the storm who directs it in the land and directs it and also brings it to a conclusion because he gives you strength, he gives you peace. And then also at the same time, what we looked last week with Jonah's story and his life is that God brings rescue, and sometimes it is by redirecting us, by getting us back with him, bringing us back in line with God's purposes, his good will, and we sometimes need those wake-up calls. And all the while, I mean, if I could just name some of the things I see God doing in the storm, it's things like he puts us in our place, that we don't actually know everything. We don't actually have everything figured out or right or good or figured out. And he reveals what's true. He reveals what truly matters. This is how I feel God specifically leading me and just guiding me as I reflect on these passages, which are coming out in our time of worship this morning, these, these mornings of worship. And I look at all these things, and they press upon me some questions that I imagine you felt over and over again. Questions, you know, I start to think, how did we get here? I want to remember all the details of how did we get here over the past two years? What are all the things that God did? What were the things that decisions I made, the ones that I know were good in following God? And some that were overreactions, some that caused me to not actually trust God all the way, the way I should. And I invite you into that in the sense that we must do this work personally before we can do it together as a church. One of the lines that just echoed in my mind over the past year is this, that community renewal must first begin with personal renewal. Community renewal must first begin with personal renewal. And what that means is that maybe you desire to see this renewal take place in your life, your family in this church community, in the global church, you desire to see it with all this disruption that's happened. But for that to take place, it must first start in the quiet moments, the unseen moments. You, whether you're praying on your knees or in this thin place you have in your home where you encounter the Spirit of God, it starts in those places of seeking renewal, praying after him, seeking his face before it can expand to what we do here. And it leads to us looking at all the opportunities that are with us this morning. I look at this whole large narrative that Clint graciously read for us, and it is filled with all these opportunities for witness. And those same opportunities are here for us today, for witness. How do we endure through this season? And so I'm going to catch us up on where we are in Acts, because I think it's so important to know where we are in this book, this wonderful book about following Paul's servant at this point and stage in the book. 
And as you're thinking this, I want us to also see ourselves in the story. Because Paul is taking advantage of all these opportunities God's presented to him. And that's the same invitation for you. How can you do this now? Acts is a fantastic book. It's written by Luke, who also recorded the Gospel Luke. He also includes this record of what happened in the early church and its leaders in the expansion of the Gospel beyond Jerusalem, but to the, the, the ends of the earth. And we're kind of in the ends of the earth period here. It's kind of amazing. But one of the things I often ask in Scripture, because, you know, if you think, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but not everything that Jesus did is in the Gospels. Not every single little detail, every single meal he had, every single conversation he had is in the Gospels. The same is the case for Acts. Not that what happened in the Gospels is true, but it's been chosen to reveal a purpose about what God is telling, the story God is telling. The same is true in Acts. There's a version of Acts of what happened in the early church following Paul's life that didn't include the storm, but Luke wanted to include it. It's interesting to think that way. Why, Why is this here? Why did God choose to include this? And one of the things that's a backdrop for me is the fact that Luke, who's Greek, he's a doctor, he knows all this famous literature of history. You know, he writes about the storm, and I think he's also remembering in his mind things like Homer's Odyssey. There's a picture of Homer's Odyssey, which I've never actually read the full Odyssey. But here's Odysseus, you know, like these, these, these heroes that go through large journeys and basically get, you know, experience disruption and even failure around storms. But for me, that's not what I think of because I, I, don't, I don't, haven't read the, the full Odyssey. I've probably read part of it, honestly. Um, but I think of perfect storm. <laughs> I think of things like castaway, you know, like clinging to a plank of rope on, the, on, the, on just clinging for my life. And then I also think of like Titanic, if you ever think, you know, like, this is what, like, the, I mean, Hollywood gives me these pictures. You probably have the pictures in your mind, too. This is what surviving a storm looks like. Um, also, with this picture here, Rose, can you just move over a little bit? Can you just move over a little bit? I, I, you know, I just think there's room for both people here. There's room for both people. Maybe I'm wrong here. That's an aside. Um, but I think Luke includes this telling of the story in Acts as part of this history, Paul's journey to help us see that God is, God's faithful witness, Paul here, is overcoming the storm with clarity and confidence, with calmness. And not only is this possible for him or possible for us, but it powerfully reveals God's purposes and that nothing comes against God's promises. Nothing can prevent it happening, whether it's a massive storm, some spiritual attack that God will prevail. And especially since we're in the latter section of Acts, There's a specific promise that Paul is focusing on, and it's the promise he was given in chapter 23 of Acts, if you know it. And it's because Paul, he just went before judgment between the Jewish leaders and the Sanhedrin, and then he has the Lord come to him in the night. It's Acts 23. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So you must also testify in Rome. So here's Paul in Acts 27. He's been in prison for years, years, and yet each step of the way, he, under threat of death, he keeps taking advantage of these opportunities to share the good news about Jesus. He keeps doing it. I think he's got a lot of reasons to maybe pull back and not do as much. He's still doing it. He keeps telling the good news. It starts from going to Jerusalem when he could have not gone to Jerusalem, and then he's imprisoned. Then he goes before the Jewish leaders. He goes before the governors of the time. 
and he continues to contend for the good in the gospel. And person after person, whether it's Felix the governor who then just imprisons him for two years because Paul won't even bribe him. Then it goes to Festus. Then it goes to King Agrippa. And Paul throughout is preaching the love of God to the cross of Jesus Christ so that they might know the forgiveness of Christ and they might know the new life of his resurrection. And it's, they don't absolve Paul because if they hear him, they know he's done nothing wrong. But they still continue to keep him imprisoned. Paul knows that he will make it to Rome. And that's the whole backdrop of everything happening in this incredible story of about a storm. He's on a crew with over 200 people, but he knows he will preach in Rome. He's been given this promise. Just as I also believe, believe that Christ has called you to some kind of Rome, to some kind of purpose that is specific to your life. It's specific to what God is doing in your story. And he will bring you to that place because Jesus is not finished with you yet. And I think that's important to hear because there are times when I needed to hear that this past year. Jesus is not finished with you yet. He will see you to quote unquote Rome, whatever that is. And even as you receive this this morning, I just pray you to ask, what is this promise you've given me? What are these callings you've given me? And how can I trust you that you will bring me to those places? The main idea that I want to reflect on this morning as I unpack this story is this, that through these kind of storms that Paul goes through and we go through, God is giving us an opportunity for courageous witness. Through these storms, God is giving us opportunity after opportunity for courageous witness. And it's the person we are today, it shapes who we become tomorrow. It's shaping how we respond to the needs of tomorrow. And so as we witness what God is doing, he also leads us to share that with each other. So I'm going to kind of pick up from Acts 27.9, 27.9, because I think this journey involves lots of details that are a little hard to reflect on, which is why I appreciate Clint reading it for us. But what you need to know is the journey was hard. I thought you picked that up. This is not the time you want to be making a journey. They are making slow headway because it's actually almost about to be wintertime. And it's very, it goes from difficult, bad, to worse, to disastrous. And that's the language you pick up. Let me see the first picture here. You can see actually a little bit of a scope of the whole map that he's going. And one corner here on the, on, the, on the lower right side, close to where Jerusalem is, is where Paul starts for several years in prison there. And then if you go to the next picture, you see the next phase. That's where he starts. And let's just go to the next picture there here where it, it basically starts around the coast, loops around Cyprus, and then it ends up a couple different stops around Crete. Crete is that large isle there. You probably can't see the wording too clearly. But he's making it there, and that's where all these details are saying. But it's really escalating that this is a dangerous journey. Nothing about this is safe. And so in Acts 9, Paul starts to speak up. He starts to say that this is getting dangerous. He knows what time of year it is. There's a cue that it's after the Day of Atonement, which for us means it's winter. So picking up from verse 10, this is what Paul says. Man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. And bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. And then I'm going to also read verse 12. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was also a harbor in Crete facing both the southwest and northwest. Phoenix is not Phoenix, Arizona, obviously. Phoenix, 
the west side of Crete. Um, so Paul starts to speak up. He's a prisoner, and yet somehow he has this incredible influence on this boat of over 200 people, where he can speak and he's listened to. And the only reason the centurion Julius decides not to is just because the pilot and owner of the boat want to go a different way. Probably because they didn't want to get stuck in an island all winter. They would kind of like to spend winter in Rome if they could get there. So they keep pushing on. Even as dangerous as it is, Paul speaks, and they will regret it. Then the storm disrupts the journey. This is this next section, 13 on, where the storm disrupts all their plans. It gets really bad. They're totally lost in the chaos of this storm. Verse 15 says this, The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. There's a cue here about it being a northeaster wind in Mediterranean. What that is telling us is this is a full-blown hurricane. If you just think the biggest storm you've ever been in, it's a full-blown hurricane. And they are in a cargo ship with some sort of sail and anchor system that I'm not an expert in, but it is not able to keep them going the way they want to go. And so they're caught up in it. It takes them with them. They don't have a way to stop. They're being battered to and for, and all of a sudden they start to panic. The next few verses tell us they start to throw things overboard. Let's get some of this cargo overboard to lighten and stabilize the ship to no avail. And finally, it gets to a point of such seriousness that Paul speaks up again. And that's where I want you to just focus next, and that's verse 21. After that, they had gone a long time without food. They're not even eating. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. Keep up your courage. Because no, no one of you will be lost. That's kind of a significant thing. No one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Then he says this, and Paul is going to a vision that he had, which is actually confirming the promise that he was already given chapters before. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. God is speaking, and Paul is just sharing that with the people around him. And he's surrounded by lots of people, not Christians. People who have God from God from God from hope from hope from hope. People who are trying to rely on themselves to get through the adversity they experience. He says, my God who created all this has got this. Keep up your courage. The last few verses he says, then he repeats himself. He says, so keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, and here's kind of the sobering reality, we must run aground on some island. Like even after he says all this saying, we're going to be delivered, it's going to be okay, my God will see me to Rome, but we're probably going to lose the ship in the process. <laughs> the ship is going to run aground. The first act of courageous witness I want to mention to you, I've looked at four or five here that I'm going to mention along the way in this message. This is the first one I want to mention, and it is about taking heart and courage, and it's about an active choice. There are lots of ways that we could have responded to this past year, lots of ways, but it's an intentional choice to embrace courage, trusting that God is with us in this moment, as scary as it is. It's a choice. There's lots of other choices we have. I could choose to just go home and go to bed. Or I could choose to cope with my anxiety and my fear by doing X, Y, and Z. 
or I can take courage. What does that intentional act look like for you to take courage? Because that's sometimes it's, it's harder than it is for me just to say. Yet you find it all over Scripture. And it's not bound by someone sort of conjuring up strength and self will. No, it's bound together with Christ, who is our strength, who is our purpose, who gives us the power of his presence. Take courage as an intentional choice. But the other thing he says here is the ship will run aground. And I, I have been reflecting and praying about that. You know, what does that mean just for a ship run to ground? Because part of you know, what a ship could represent is so many things. But I think for, like, as I've looked at this, a ship reflects our hopes, our promises, our plans, the ways in which we thought we had things figured out, the way in which we thought we would get to Rome. And uh, I was listening to a message reflecting on this passage by Christine Kane, if you know her. She's an evangelist, does a lot of great work with, um, with just a lot of great work of mission around the world, I would say. And she reflects on this passage. She says, you know, and she just, She's connecting to our life of 2020, 2021. And she says, we've all lost some ships in this season. We've all lost some things that we thought were going to be part of the journey. This is a kind of a quote I want to offer to you from her. It's just, we thought the ship was going to take us there, Rome, or wherever we thought we were called. But the Lord is reminding us that, no, he's the one who will take us there. We thought we had the plan figured out, but no, God's reminding us he's the one who will take us there. He's the only one that promised that he will never leave us or forsake us, but we put our hope in ships. And so I think about this, these past few years of my own journey, of my family coming where we are, and then what we've endured as a church and community and world, and I know that there are times when I just had to realize, I can't put my hope in that. That's not Christ. I need to get my hope in the right place. Because like Paul is saying, the ship is running aground. And God is saying in a lot of ways to us, was your faith or hope in the ship or was it in me? Was your faith or hope in the ship or was it in me? Courageous witness looks like an active choice. The second thing I think it looks like as I look in this narrative is that courageous witness focuses on what matters most. And it is clear about that. It points to Christ. He points to his Lord and Savior who is directing the storm and will deliver them from the storm. And that's exactly what Paul does. He's affirming the purpose and power of God in the calling over his life. God said he will bring me to Rome. He will bring me to Rome. God has promised that he will be with you. That God has promised that he will call you into works beyond your own ability. He will bring you to them. He will give you what you need. That is a focus on what matters most and not all the extra stuff. Not all the extra stuff. Paul, to this crew, through his speech, he is saying, my God has this. He knows he will stand before Caesar. He will testify. God told, told him that he would get to Rome. He didn't say how. The third, you know, courageous witness act I see in this storm is that courageous witness gives thanks. Courageous witness gives thanks. There's an act and practice of gratitude here that I think is, it almost seems out of place to me. Like they're breaking bread in the middle of a storm. How are they doing it? They've gone several weeks. They go two weeks without eating food, a fortnight. And yet this is what Paul says in verse 34. Now I urge you to take, uh, take some food. You need it to survive. 
No one of you will lose a single hair from his head. That's the promise again. And then the next few verses in 35, after he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks and he, to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. I can't read that in Bible and not think of the meal we shared last week as a church communion. I can't not think, not connect that. Now, part of this act is connected to how Jews would have broken bread and shared and given thanks in all kinds of meals. But when I think about the story that Luke's telling in his gospel and then also in Acts, I just know that, this is a, that giving thanks, sharing meals, that it's part of giving credit to God. It's an act of faith of saying that this is who, God who provides. So don't estimate the power of breaking bread in the storm. <laughs> of actually being grateful for what we do have and not just complaining or keeping some bitterness deep inside about the things we don't. Because God is saying, no, this is like Paul is demonstrating this way of not just acknowledging who provides in the storm, but he's also saying you need to prepare. There's some realism in this, that you need to prepare for this tough journey. We're going to run aground. You're going to have to swim or cling to a plank of wood to get to shore. So you need to nourish, you need to prepare for what's taking place, but that's an act of giving thanks. You know, one of the things that I, I think about a lot of times in Scripture is, you know, and there are examples of it, we've looked at some of them. You know, Jesus is in the boat, storm comes about, disciples panic, God calms the storm. Or even in Jonah last week where, you know, there, there is this act of the, the, the sailors realizing something's wrong and they go through all these different antics to figure out what's wrong and then the, it ends up leading them to jo- throw Jonah over the bo- boat and then the storm goes away. But the storm doesn't go away here. They have to go through the storm. They have to run the ship aground. It's a dramatic depiction of deliverance, but it's also about God's promise of protection to the shoreline. You're going to have to work for this. And that, that resonates with me more than anything, that nothing about the past year beyond has been easy, and that we've had to endure through swimming. I've had to choose to eat and give thanks even when I didn't want to. <laughs> I needed to nourish my life. I needed to make sure I was eating good food, that I wasn't being swayed by this thing or the other. And that's how God brings rescue here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review all the courageous witness things at the very end. But I want to at least mention them along the way. And where this leads, as they prepare for the storm, as they run aground, is almost matter of fact that God completely delivers them. He saves every person in the crew. as almost a matter of fact. It's incredible. Um, and I have a map here if you want to see where Malta is, because that's the island they arrive. Here's a, you know, like, like my little storm icon. It's really great here. And then up on the left here, you see Malta. It's tiny. It's right below Italy. If you could just impact, picture the boot up there. Um, and they didn't even know what Malta was when they arrived, but they arrived. Here they were. Um, and what, what the narrative emphasizes for us is that God brought them safely through. That they, in, in this way, everyone reached the land safely. That's the last verse of 27. That God brought them safely through, just as he brings us safely through. That doesn't mean we're not bruised and battered, but that he's promised to get us to shore, and he will. And it's not that we're the same as we were several years ago. No, we're different. But God's promises still remain. That God still is bringing good through the storm. And I, you know, part of it is, you know, we, we, it's very easy to focus on all the losses. 
the missed opportunities, oh, we didn't get together with this family or this friendship came apart. It's very easy to focus on real losses, which that's my personality. I, I can sit with the loss. But that's not why the storm is here to, for the people to reflect on the loss. It's actually caused, it's, it's calling them to, to focus on the per- presence of God. I can get too much. I personally, I admit this to you. I can, get, I can get so focused on the past and reflecting on the loss, and it's like, what, what, what does that feel like? And, I, and that's needed. It really is needed. But the point of the storm was for them to say, I am the one who will get you to Rome. <laughs> I am the one who will take you to where I am called you to. That I am the one who's with you. It's not the ship. It is the presence of God. And so Paul arrives and it's just a short little snippet in Acts, but it's really kind of Acts, you know, it, ta- it helps us understand where well, we have the storm, we have the shipwreck, they arrive on Malta, uh, all have survived, and all of a sudden the villagers of the island have waited for them <laughs> and have welcomed them. They have a warm fire coming, and the villagers, they don't even know, they don't even speak the same language, and they've welcomed them. And what does Paul do? You know, I, I, I think a lot of times we wish that we were in a different place. That's some of the themes here. We wish we had the same means to get to Rome. We wish we were in Rome and not in Malta. You know, like, we didn't plan to be here. And yet at the same time, you know, it's very easy for us to be disappointed and frustrated. And it's like God actually wants a plan for Paul to be in Malta. Just as God has planned for us to be here now to deal with these set of of circumstances, as challenging as they are. That God actually wants us here now. Why? What does he want us to do? Well, one of the things I love, how, what does Paul do? If you look at it, if you ask yourself, what does Paul do? He's on the shore. They've been welcomed to fire. And his immediate response is to gather up wood. To gather up brushwood. And so all immediately, he, he's actually already thinking, well, the fire's going to run out. If this is going to continue to help other people, we need to serve. So the other courage, act of courageous witness I see in here is this. The courageous witness looks like serving where you are, not waiting for where you want to be. Courageous witness looks like serving where you are and not waiting for where you want to be. And like part of it for me, and I, I just reflect on all the opportunities that Paul has in this narrative, is that he has a lot of chance. Sometimes in crisis we think, oh, we just, just get through the crisis. But there's actually a lot of opportunity for God to do a lot of incredible good in the midst of the crisis. Whether, I mean, I, it'll be interesting if like a storm's happening outside and I decide I'm just going to break some bread out or something like that. But maybe I should. And for Paul here, just stepping in service is connected to that exactly. He, he sees this as an opportunity to minister to the people on the crew. He sees this as an opportunity to minister to the people who have immediately received them after they've been beatered and battered. And because of that inroads, he's led to a journey where he can heal the chief person of the town. And then his whole crew, it's in verse 10, leaves knowing that they were, because they, were on, they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies when we needed. You know, I, I think of how that was a witness to the crew and how that was a witness to the island, which is really in the backdrop of what's happening in 28. And I think, wow, there's a lot that can be said through service. There can be a lot said with what it looks like to be willingly engaged. And I think about being with neighbors. I think about being connected. I mean, I remember when we first moved to, to Canada, and I was, the pandemic was full blaze. And I, didn't, I couldn't even get to, uh, get to know our neighbors because uh, I didn't know how to talk with them without freaking them out. <laughs> because everyone wanted to keep their space. 
And, uh, and similarly, you know, all these different opportunities, whether it's opportunity I've had to get, connect with any of you or anyone on the street, it's still an opportunity because we've all had our hopes and ships disrupted. We're all kind of running aground. And what are we doing in the midst of that? Are we clear about what matters? Are we clear and engaged with serving? Because God is providing everything we need. Like, I've, I feel that personally. I see how God continues to provide. And there are times when we have to wait and see what's the outcome of the storm. Because God could be calling you to provide for someone else's need, for, to, to help with someone else's hurt, help with someone else's healing. This whole flow of the narrative, Acts 27 and 28, the storm, the shipwreck. Oh, by the way, Paul was bitten by a viper. <laughs> And yet he, wasn't, yet he wasn't harmed at all. I kind of skipped over that a little bit. The snake bite. It all gives Paul the opportunity for courageous witness. And I'll just review these here because I don't want us to forget them. That courageous witness for Paul, and think about yourself also, looks like taking heart and acting intentionally. Having courage in the promise of God. It also looks like testifying to what matters. Testifying to what matters. Confidence and comfort that Jesus will take us to where he's called us to. Courageous witness looks like giving thanks. Being grateful. Maybe some of what we wanted as part of our lives has been stripped away. We have a lot to be grateful for. It looks like giving thanks. And I think the breaking bread and the preparation that's needed, and I think about that being something we need to do now. We need to prepare for what's to come, what's going to happen this upcoming winter. We're going to prepare for what is going to be a challenge for us that we don't even know. And I think about this healing nourishment that food provides. Some of us need to be healed before the next chapter rolls around. We need to seek healing and help because we're not okay. We need to seek nourishment because we've been feeding off of social media and news, which is just confusing And we realize that that's not the word of God. That's not the truth of God. To be nourished and prepared, which leads us to gratitude. And part of it for Paul is this is the next act of courageous witness, is a clear purpose and direction. Do you know what your life is about? Or do you want to? Are you willing to ask the questions along the way? How do I get into clear purpose with what God has for me? And it takes some adaptive wisdom along the way and humility. And the last one I mentioned in, from Acts 28 is this, serving where you are, even if that means you're not where you want to be. I think about storms, and one of the things I remember is in 2011, I, was, I came from Alabama, so you might hear my southern accent, which is a great joy to all, I know. Um, and uh, in 2011, there was a massive storm in Alabama. It was a huge tornado. It really hit one of the large universities in Tuscaloosa. I didn't live there. But I remember enduring that storm. I've even encountered people in Bethel who came down for disaster relief in Alabama, of all places, uh, to help with that storm and the outcome. And I remember the storm, and I remember after. Because in the storm, I was helping out in residence life at a university, and I was just caring for the building, caring for the students, just trying to get people through, and that brought about really great conversations. But what I remember more distinctly was what happened after. Because some of the students who gratefully survived from the storm, they came to my private school that I was a student and employee at. And they came and they, I don't know what was going on in their minds and hearts, but they destroyed tons of property. It was massive vandalism. They destroyed car after car, uh, hurt a lot of buildings, and yours truly got hit by that too. 
Um, my car had this ashtray capsule. It was massive, like one of those big ash, like ashtray capsules thrown in the, in, in the middle of the front windshield. Just chucked, smashed the entire front glass. And then I was like, you know, we were alerted as like residence life staffs, like something's going on. We're all alerted. I'm going around and I'm down the way. He's like, oh, I parked my car up there. I wonder if something happened to my car. I was like, oh, yep, it's definitely there. And for years and years after that event, I had smashed glass in the car and like it was ash everywhere. It was very messy. And, and if anything like that's ever happened to you, it feels violate. You feel violated. You feel like wronged. It messes with your core a little bit, even if, you know, it's not the biggest thing in the world. It's amazing how that emotionally impacts you. But what I also remember is the phone call the day after. Because the guy who did it had done enough property to go to jail for a very long time. He did enough damage to go to jail for a very long time. It's a very young guy and reckless. Maybe he was hurting and angry and acting out from what happened. But he asked me if he could pay to repair my car and and I w- wouldn't press charges, and I, I said yes, and, you know, it, it all worked out fine. But I remember that moment, just like, this guy is just, as he should feel, he should feel completely vulnerable to everything he's done that was wrong. And yet I had opportunity to minister peace to him and forgiveness to him, and I was really glad I was able to do that, uh, because it would have been very easy for me to be resentful towards him. Like, that was an example not the storm, but the relationship. And the new thing that happened was like, I have an opportunity to respond to this person in love and share Jesus with him in a way that I would never have. I believe the same is for us right now. Where we are in Edmonton right now, can we share the love with others? <laughs> can we be courageous and not just expect other people to do the work, but actually God's asking you to do it based on how he's created you. He's not asking you to be the most amazing evangelist. He's asking you to be you. But can you have courage and serve where you are and be faithful? You know, you look at all of Acts, and you see these things in Paul's life, but they're all sport, supposed to point to Jesus. <laughs> they're, supposed, they're supposed to point to how Paul looks like Christ, how Christ endured the storm, how Christ was present where he was, how Christ broke bread, he gave thanks, how Christ had courage, he focused on what mattered, he directed people to what mattered most. That's what Jesus did. And this is where I love this word witness, courageous witness. I've been using it the whole time. Witness is a twofold action. Witness is one, is a verb that receives and beholds what's taking place, but it is also a word and verb that gives and shares and credits. Witness testifies to the power of God at work in the world. And it isn't us, it is Jesus Christ who reigns over earth through every possible storm, through every possible challenge you face. And in fact, he uses these storms to involve us in his plans. Imagine a storm happening in your life and you're saying, you know, you're not just supposed to get around the storm or out of the storm. I actually want you to be a witness in the storm because it's going to run aground. It's going to be hard. People's ships are going to crash. What will you do? And we must not let the circumstances of the moment take us away from being present to God as he is present to us. He's reminding us that our ships are not our avenues for strength, but ways to give up to what God is doing. And so I ask you, and I'm going to invite the band to come up and respond and lead us in worship, but I ask you this, is what is this calling that God has for you? 
You know, you might not know Christ and you, have, you come to this morning of worship with lots of questions. I would love to talk to you about those questions. But, you know, part of that is understanding that God does know you and see you and walks with you and has given his spirit in your life to do incredible things in the midst of the storm. And not that it's easy, but he will see you through it. He will equip you through it. But do you trust him to get to Rome? Do you believe he is faithful to the end at all times? God wants you to remember that he's with you and that he loves you. And I think of Joseph at the very end of his story in Genesis where his, bo- his brothers are apologizing. You're apologizing. We meant evil for you. And it's like you intended it to be evil, but God meant it for good. It's worth us asking as hard as this past season has been, looking for the good, looking for how God is bringing good in all these scenarios and circumstances because Paul knows he's being called to preach to Caesar, and we're all called to something also. So I'm going to pray for us and lead us to Christ. I ask that God would just confirm and clarify the calling of what he would have you do at this time and season and explain what courageous witness truly is. Lord, we go before you, um, and we just want to say thank you that you um, say so much through um, a storm in Acts 27 and 28, a storm in a place that many of us have never been to, and yet at the time, same time, it is so clear, I think, how it connects with our, day, our, our, our everyday life and our circumstances. And I don't say all these things like they're easy, but I do say them in confidence that, Lord, you have called us to witness. Whether it's to our neighbors, conversations with our family members, people in church and the part of this community, that we can do this in love and truth, that we can do this with courage, and that we can say yes to you and trust you more and more. So please help us to see that and take, help us to take us this sermon forward. What do we do in response to this, Lord? Reveal to us, confirm in us, give us power and encouragement. And we give you thanks. And we promise to tell our stories to you because they're worth telling because you are good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.